0: y'all. I'm Gretchen Purser, and this is The Mess is Mine, the podcast where we talk about politics and faith and all the other messy stuff. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, everybody, and welcome. I'm happy you're here. Uh, we have several things to cover today. The first is a new syndrome related to syndrome, syndrome related to COVID. Uh, the second uh, is that we're going to take a little bit closer look at that $1.9 trillion stimulus package, also known as the STEMI, if you're like one of the cool kids. We're going to check out the culture wars on Fox News. I'm going to give you some things to put, push back on, and I'm going to give you a couple of things to watch for. All right, so the first thing on the agenda is something called COVID FOMO, which is um, alive and well in Northern Virginia. If you're one of those fortunate people that live somewhere in the hinterlands where COVID doses are being rejected um, by other people and you're able to easily get one, hooray for you. Because if you're in Northern Virginia, good luck because it's basically you, you know you go around you try to like find leftover doses that weren't used i mean i'm literally starting to feel like some sort of a heroin addict looking to score i need a miracle even when you want to just take a leftover vaccine cuz you're trying to not cheat the system like a lot of people have and you keep wanting to do the right thing and then these workers at these places look at you like you're trying to cut the line and push an old lady in a wheelchair down the stairs i've fallen and I can get up. So I don't know when or if I'll ever get this vaccine. I'm assuming at some point before Jesus comes back, I'm hopeful. Anyway, the COVID FOMO is real. I'm living it every day. For those of you who have a vaccine, I do not disparage you. I'm, I am nothing other than jealous. Uh, it, it will will get there. I'm trying to be a little more positive about this. It's fresh. It's a fresh wound. Second thing I want to talk about today are the ongoing culture wars. I turned on Fox News yesterday. Um, Give this a listen. What's great in this piece is you say we're at this cultural inflection point where we're asking ourselves really at the national level if teenagers can um, look at Mr. Potato Head and still trans teenagers can still look at Mr. Potato Head and retain their sense of self-worth or if we can as adults still watch Gone with the Wind. But are we, though? I mean, in the middle of a national pandemic, are we actually really just focused on Gone with the Wind and Dr. Seuss? I feel like we're not. I feel like that's what they want us to be focused on. In any regard, this was an interview with a guy who wrote a piece for the New York Post, uh, an op-ed, that hinged on the premise that Gen X should be the ones to push back on the millennials' cancel culture because we lived through the Cold War and we understand how important freedom of speech is. So he just blathered on about going back to the virtues and the and the values of the 1980s and how we need to stand up and he kind of lost me honestly because I lived through the 1980s and I don't think the word values is what would come to mind. I mean the 80s were a lot of things. I mean, don't get me wrong, the 80s were a lot of fun, but it wasn't all big hair and parachute pants. I mean, the 80s had some pretty messed up stuff. I mean, racism was rampant. You could tell any kind of racist joke against any nationality, anybody different, anybody fat, anybody skinny, anybody tall, anyone with a disability, either physical or mental. You definitely could discriminate against women and openly do so. Um, I don't really think the 80s values is anything I would want to pass down to my kids, but I'm sure this guy remembers it fondly because he is a 50-something white dude. And from the looks of this guy, I don't think he ever had to fight for anything except for maybe his right to party. Yeah, man. You know, the reason those John Hughes movies were so popular is because they were spot on. And this is the part where I'm really tempted to say, oh, I never laughed at that stuff. Well, I did. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. But now as an adult, I can see that those kinds of values and stereotypes aren't really things I want to pass on to my kids. I think a lot of this, I think a lot of Gen Xers feel that way. I mean, I guess unless you're the author of this op-ed who clearly spent a lot of time at the mall with a pocket full of quarters in front of the Donkey Kong machine. Anywho, Disney has acquired the Muppets and they have flagged a little bit of the content because there are some of the human guests like Johnny Cash in front of a Confederate flag and things like that. So they aren't censoring it out. They're just giving a warning at the front end for parents who might not want their kids exposed to that, which I think it's perfectly fine. Disney is being overly cautious because they've gotten in a lot of trouble over the years for some of their older cartoons in particular. You know, a lot of things were morally or socially more acceptable 80 years ago than they are today. I believe that's called progress. Anyway, so Dumbo's a story where the difference of the elephant actually becomes his superpower. So it's a really redeeming story for kids. But there are parts of this story that are a little bit less morally inspiring, like this clip. I seen a horse fly. Ah, I seen a dragon fly. <laughs> I seen a house fly. Yeah. <laughs> see, I seen all that too. But i have be done seeing about everything when I see an elephant fly. Now I didn't know this, and I'm guessing you didn't either. But the main character, the sort of Louis Armstrong slash blackface of audio, he has a first name. Mister Crow. His first name is Jim. Jim Crow. Like I didn't make that up. So, y'all, I mean, it's not a reach for Disney to say, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Making light of the Jim Crow laws even back then was a push. But now they have no choice but to divorce themselves from that kind of open racism and hostility. This isn't censorship. This company has made a decision to make a good business practice for the sake of civility and being a good corporate citizen. And let's be really, really clear. President Biden isn't speaking out on this or Seuss or Potato Head or any of this stuff. You know why? Because he's busy, like, running the country, and he's just not going to get engaged in this culture war stuff. The Democrats aren't talking about this at all. They're busy doing their jobs, like passing legislation and getting people vaccinated. So Republicans talking about this does a number of things for them. Number one, it helps their right-wing media have higher ratings than they would otherwise. But guess what? The Republican viewership is bored by things like taxes and policy, and which is a good thing because their leadership isn't doing any of it. But if this isn't sexy and scandalous, if it doesn't make you enraged, Republicans don't have an appetite for it. It's beginning to feel like the Republicans' answer to everything is, let's get back to the way it used to be, the good old days. Regression, family values. The radical left is destroying our nation. The very fabric of what we stood for. They hate America. They hate God. They hate our culture. Blah, blah, blah. Don't y'all see? It's the same old crap I shoveled for two decades of my life. It was bullshit then and it's bullshit now. It's not real. It's not true. But the truth is, happy, contented, hopeful people don't write political checks. Angry, embittered, fearful people do. Just this week, I got three different direct mail pieces about the radical left and how they're destroying our culture. And they all mentioned Dr. Seuss. Every one of them, culture, transgender this, transgender that. They're trying to scare people. They're trying to point out the other. They're convincing people that whoever that is on the other side, they're threatening your way of life. They're taking something away from you. And once you convince people of that, all you got to do is sit back and let the checks roll in. All right, this is getting really dark. Let's pick it up a little bit. Um there's a lot of money, speaking of money, that's going to get unleashed into our economy by way of stimulus. So I know I talked about this last week, but I'm not sure I really fleshed it out. So here's the thing. This is going to be a lifesaver for a lot of American families. This is going to actually allow people to not get evicted from their homes to be able to feed their kids, to put food on the table. I mean, this is going to be really powerful for the working poor and even just middle-class folks who really, you know, live pretty close to the edge and paycheck to paycheck. Ideally, we would have money go only to the people that need it and exactly the amounts that they need it and nothing else. But it's kind of impossible to do that. So you're going to err one way or the other. You're going to err and not get people enough so that it doesn't actually stimulate the economy. Or you're going to overdo it and give money to people who don't actually really need it. So if you get a stimulus check, even if you don't need it, the purpose is for you to go spend it. Get it out into the economy. Go buy yourself a little something pretty. And maybe you can help one of the many, many struggling small businesses pull through this tough time and get through to the other side. And here's the beautiful thing. Unlike the last stimulus check, this president doesn't feel the need to put his own name on it and pretend it's from him. With the slimmest of majorities, it can't really get a lot slimmer. Joe Biden just got everything he wanted. Well, everything except Republican support. You know, when Trump put his two COVID relief bills through, Democrats supported it. And the fact that there's been not a single Republican vote and there's actually... Republican members out there now trying to take credit for the money that's going to be going to their district. Keep an eye on that, too, because that's 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 not OK. It's not OK to vote against it and then try to take credit for it. That's so classic. It's 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 the post-truth party. It's I'm going to vote against this and then I'm going to go out and take credit for it. And nobody at home is going to be any the wiser because we think you guys are a bunch of dummies. So, this is sweeping legislation, and it could cut childhood poverty in this country by as much as half. Half, y'all. Now, I didn't know this, but before COVID struck, one third of American households were having problems already paying for diapers. The thing it's harder for me to process is that in the 117th Congress, which is the Congress right now, 99% of the Republicans are self proclaimed Christians. They claim to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the majority of them want to reduce spending on entitlement programs because it's important to enforce personal responsibility over handouts. You know, like Jesus said. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And behold, now I'm all lazy and entitled. You shouldn't have done that. Do unto others as you suspect they might want to do unto you. I love me some GOP Jesus. I'll put that on my um, website for you all as well. So this bill has a lot of good things in it for families. And despite what you might hear, this isn't just another bailout for like pimps and drug dealers and 'er ne'er-do-wells. This is going to go to working families who strive and struggle and worry at night about how to put food on the table for their children. I don't know what else is more Christian than that. This is a pro-family bill. This is a pro-child bill. And it passed. Please remember, it passed without a single Republican vote. How do Republican followers of Jesus think it's fine for children to starve in America? In America, the wealthiest country in the history of our planet. And more importantly, what do they actually think Jesus would have to say about it? I don't mean this in a tongue-in-cheek way. I mean, it's not even funny. I shouldn't have even played that other clip because it's not funny. It's heartbreaking. You don't get to call yourself pro-life and a Christian and then ignore the fact that a third of America's children live in poverty. What do they propose doing about it? Nothing. What are they going to say? They're going to change the subject. And here we go, right on cue this week where they start talking about Biden's border crisis. could barely say that with a straight face. I mean, we all know this just cropped up in the last 60 days, right? This, This immigrant thing hasn't been a problem at all. Okay, here's the deal. If I were terrified for my family, if I had just crossed plains and deserts and rivers with my babies on my back to save them from certain death and or a life in the cartel, I probably would have waited until the soulless tyrant who wanted to throw them in cages was dethroned. And then I would come. So I guess in that way, it kind of is Biden's fault because he's not, you know, he's not dead inside. That's fair. You know, illegal immigration has been a problem we've dealt with for decades. And it's not because we're so great or because these people want a free ride. It's because they're running from something that is so terrifying. It's worth it for them to risk the journey. Think about that. Have you ever been scared enough to risk your life or the life of your children? To upend your entire world just for a tiny glimmer of maybe surviving? We can't imagine that. We, we can't imagine that. And if there's anything in the world I can't stand is listening to Christians opine about immigrants. You know, those of us who won the cosmic lottery, those who were born white Christian in America, born into a life of comfort, if not excess, we have no idea what that's like. This is a problem that's been with us a long time, and there are no easy solutions. But as Christians the very least we can do is give a damn. All right, time for our weekly pushbacks. All right, pushback number one, the COVID vaccine. If you know people who are planning not to get the vaccine, please make them get the goddamn vaccine, okay? Otherwise, we're never going to get rid of this thing and it's going to plague us forever and it's going to come back around and that'll be terrible and nobody wants that. So everybody get the vaccine, make your people get the vaccine. Pushback number two, Voter fraud. If you still have people out there that are are convinced about voter fraud, have them take a look at Texas. Texas just counted their 17 million votes, and they did find some instances of irregularities. 16, to be specific. Not 1,600 or 16,000 or 16 million. Just 16. Anyway, those are pretty good odds. So I feel like that maybe should put a little bit of this to bed. I'll put that backup material for you on my website as well. As far as something to watch for, there are now 43 states that are considering changing the voter rules to make it harder to vote. It's kind of ironic we talked about Jim Crow earlier in this episode because that's what this is. It's making it harder for people to vote. That is is voter suppression, y'all. So like they say on the airplanes and in the airports, if you see something, say something. One last thing. If you're a Gen Xer like me, I didn't mean to put down that op-ed guy from Fox News with his Donkey Kong habit. It's just that I'm more of a Pac-Man girl myself. Or Mrs. Pac-Man or Pac-Girl or Pac-Woman. What was it? (laughs) Pac-Person. Have a great week. Stay safe. Hope the sun's shining wherever you are. Um, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.